This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 28th of May. What a week, Tegan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our, our hearts are out, go out to people in Melbourne and Victoria going to lockdown again. It's, it's nothing... Um, Nothing nice about that. And, of course, we know that the this outbreak and the subsequent lockdown was seeded out of hotel quarantine in South Australia. Yes. So that's the, that's the story here. It's a state gets shut down because of a leak in hotel quarantine in South Australia. New South Wales was lucky um, a few weeks ago with the man who became positive, who clearly got it from hotel quarantine, but they still don't know how. And they could have had a bad spread there and they were just lucky that they didn't get bad spread. It wasn't, it wasn't contact tracing that saved us there in New South Wales, saved them in New South Wales. It was simply that you obviously didn't have a spreader here and there's been a spreader in Victoria. So leak in hotel quarantine, that's what we need to focus on. Right. So let's just talk about, we have a little bit more information, a bit more detail about what happened in South Australia. And it's not pointing the finger at South Australia as a state. It's just where this happened. And we've got a situation where we had people in adjacent rooms at the end of a corridor in a Medi hotel. And they think that the transmission might have happened in a window as short as 18 seconds between doors opening and closing. Yes. So there was a a man who was becoming positive, but they didn't know that. They probably should have known that because the person who was sharing a room with them previously did become positive. So he was obviously at high risk of being positive. Opened the door, 18 seconds to get a meal. Was unclear whether he was wearing a mask or not. And then 18 seconds later, the door to the other man, who was the man who went to Melbourne, his door opened to get his meal. And that presumably was enough to transmit the virus. There was another time when the doors opened within 30 second, thirty minutes of each other, I should say. And that's also possible since aerosols can last for quite a long time in the air. So it just shows how inadequate hotel quarantine is. 18 seconds, I know it's a dramatic headline, 18 seconds causes a state to go into lockdown. But what really causes a state to go into lockdown is the persistent belief that hotel quarantine is adequate. Right. So are you saying that if they were in a facility like Howard Springs where they are individual cabins and outside, that this probably wouldn't have happened? It's far less likely to happen. So I don't know, really know what the statistics are in Howard Springs, but I haven't heard of any escapes from there. So you've just got to have individual cabins so that when you open the door, assuming you're, you, the staff are properly protected and doing the right thing, and it's pretty disciplined at Howard Springs. Um, so the staff do do the right thing. But when you open the door, it just goes out into the air and gets blown away. Right. And then this, I mean, the individual, the, the first person, he's gone into hotel quarantine, not infected, and he's come out infected. Yes. So that's a duty of care. So let's imagine this man who came back to Wallert in Melbourne was 75 or 80 in hotel quarantine. He could have died. He comes in negative and goes out positive. Where's the duty of care? So not only do you get a state locking down, you're actually not able to protect the health of people. He'd be much safer going back to his home in Wallert in Melbourne and uh, you know, being watched there. But he, you know, if he'd been older, he could have died. Right. And this isn't just us sinking the boot into hotel quarantine because it's what we think. There's actually quite good evidence that's emerging that shows the risk of escapes from hotel quarantine, not just in Australia, but also in New Zealand. Yes, there's, this research was done by researchers at uh, Otago University, University of Otago in New Zealand in Wellington, and at the School of Global Health, Population and Global Health at the University of Melbourne. And what they did was they, they looked at 
true denominators, in other words, what's the number that you're comparing this to? So the number that politicians often compare this to is the total number of people coming through hotel quarantine. And that, you know, rather than, or the other way of looking at it is, what's the failure rate, what's the leak rate in relation to people who are actually positive for SARS-CoV-2? In other words, that's the real test of hotel quarantine is how good is it at preventing SARS-CoV-2 escaping when you've got somebody who's positive for SARS-CoV-2. So when you look at that, the actual um, failure rate per all the travellers together is about 6 per 100,000. But here's the number. It's 5.8 failures per 1,000 SARS-CoV-2 positive cases. So that's less than 1 in 200, Mm. maybe 1 in 172. So we're panicking at the moment over Astra with a clot, the latest figures coming from Otagi, which we'll talk about later, is probably about one in 62,000, one and a half people in an MCG full. We're panicking about that. By the way, there were 800 deaths in Victoria in, as a result of one hotel quarantine leak. So we're talking about a lot of deaths. But here we are, one in 172 or thereabouts, certainly less than one in 200. Which, as you say, shuts whole cities down. Some of these do end in deaths uh, in both New Zealand and in Australia. That does not feel like a safe system to me. So on that, we know that hotel quarantine is one big pillar of our protection, which is not maybe doing as good of a job as it should be. And the other big pillar of protection for Australians is vaccination. And we've been saying very explicitly and stridently over the last, um, well, the last year, but especially the last few weeks, just how important it is to get vaccinated if you're eligible. And we continue to say that. And we've got a bit more information today about the risk associated with AstraZeneca because that's a big sticking point for some people. Can you give us an update there, Norman? Yeah, so the the, um, Otagi have come out with the numbers as they have evolved. And of course, as you roll out the vaccine, there will be more people who develop clots. And the rate... Uh, has stabilised for under 50s, because we're not really giving to under 50s anymore, at about 1 in 38,000. That's the lower end of what we think we'd said before. Which is exactly what they found in in Europe and been talking about for now for two or three months. And in the over 60s, the rate is about 1 in 62,000, which is a bit more common than we've said. We've been talking about 1 in 80,000 based on on data there. So it's 1 in 62,000. So if you use the MCG analogy that we've been talking about, Imagine a, a, you know, a full MCG, it's about one and a half people who develop a clot, but the chances of dying of that clot is, are still around one in 24, one in 25 MCGs. So, so in other words, you, know, you need a lot of MCGs to, to, get, to get a death because the, the death rate in Australia is very, very low. Right. When we first started hearing about this, we were hearing that it's maybe one in four people who got it who died, which was a very uncomfortably high number. But we're now seeing that that has, is, is stabilised a lot and that the people, we actually have a bit more information about the outcomes for the people who have had it and survived, which is almost all of them. That's right. So, And 17 have been discharged from hospital and are recovering, four are left and do some, need some outpatient medical care, nine, nine remain in hospital. So it's, this is not insignificant. I mean, it is significant for the people who get it, absolutely, and cannot minimise that. But it is a rare event. And if you balance that against the risk of a serious outbreak and people going into lockdown, well, you can see what's happening is that there are queues around the block in Melbourne for a vaccine. The people have, have, have weighed the, this up for themselves and reckon it's worth going to get it. And the thing here is you've got to get two doses because it's the Indian variant. So the sooner you get in, the better. Mm. And we did hear the chief medical officer a couple of days ago talk about the fact that it's uh, advised for over 50s 
is based on the current level of risk of catching COVID in Australia or what the risk was a couple of days ago, which is actually very, very low. So the more COVID there is in Australia, the more compelling the case is to go out and get that vaccine. And so the reason we're talking about this today, Norman, apart from just keeping our audience up to date, is that Targi has given updated estimates of this risk because the more vaccines we give out, the more of these cases we see, but also the more reliable the numbers are because we have a, a good denominator. And just to explain, Targi is the Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation. Exactly. And so they're now saying that there's been 27 confirmed cases of this TTS syndrome, this clotting with low platelets syndrome, and a further six are considered probable. And that's in about 1.9 million doses of COVID-19 AstraZeneca vaccine given up till the 12th of May. Yeah. And most of these people have been have done well, so that 17 are, uh, are we out of hospital recovering, four have left hospital but quite require ongoing medical care, and nine of these people remain in hospital. So this is not insignificant. It does affect people, but it is you know, so you can't deny that it is rare. But you just got to balance the risks, you know, against the benefits. And when you see this outbreak in Victoria, it just becomes clear. And you got to get two doses. You know, the sooner you get two doses, the better. So the sooner you get your first dose, good. And Martin's got a question about the risk from AstraZeneca. Martin says, if I'm unlucky and do get blood clots from the AstraZeneca immunisation, what is the treatment? Can it be treated in country areas? And does this become a life sentence? From all over 50s I've spoken to, this is the biggest issue they can't get answered. Okay, so the uh, treatment is what's called intravenous immunoglobulin, which is really antibodies to try in an attempt to control the immune response. So you, you tend not to treat this as a clotting problem. You treat it as an immune problem. So you give this intravenous immunoglobulin. The man in Box Hill Hospital, which was our first case, he got high-dose steroids, prednisone as well, I understand. But I don't think that's commonly been used in the subsequent cases. They mostly get this intravenous immunoglobulin. They're not absolutely sure that that works so well, but... It seems to be that uh, people are recovering well when they get this. And it's also that you don't get certain kinds of anticoagulants to stop clotting. There's certain kinds of anticoagulants which are not good to have in this condition, and you, you don't give those. So I think the combination of that and supportive care and getting in early are really important. So it's being diagnosed earlier and earlier and a wider spectrum of disease. So you can be fairly confident of that. I'm not sure whether it can be treated. It does require specialist haematologists to look after you. And I suspect if you get this in a country area, you you might well have to be transferred into a major centre so a specialist haematologist can look after you and monitor you on an ongoing basis. But it's possible with telemedicine, you know, and some states are very sophisticated like with that, such as um, particularly Queensland and New South Wales and to some extent Western Australia, then it may well be that can be done at a distance. But I suspect they'd feel more comfortable if you were in a major centre. Right, but that care is available and they know what to do now if they see this syndrome. Yeah, you did, but you need a specialist, you need a haematologist, somebody who's expert in this area to be looking after you as well as an intensive care specialist. Well, we're hoping to get an expert haematologist on the show in the next couple of days, so stay tuned there. And one more question from Anne, and of course, please send in your questions at abc.net.au slash coronacast. And Anne says, why do some people get symptoms like shivers, aches and pains and so on and others don't? She and her husband are 60. They had the AstraZeneca jab yesterday and uh, he has all the above mentioned symptoms and she feels completely fine. Yes. Well, it's it's basically your immune, your immune system reacting. Just because you had no response at all doesn't necessarily mean you've had no immune response, but it's just how re, what's called how reactogenic your immune system is to the particular vaccine. It's often women, actually, who get more symptoms than men. 
but um, you know, I had some mild symptoms the next day, so I would fit in with your husband there. So nobody fully understands it, but it is your immune system reacting. Right. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. We'll catch you on Monday.